So today we're doing another of our catechetical homilies, and we wanted to focus uh, this time on a practice of the church which is often criticized and even condemned by our modern society today, and that is priestly celibacy, that uh, Catholic priests uh, have to give up uh, marriage and children and, and give their lives entirely to the service of the gospel. So we'll, I'll give you an opportunity about halfway through to ask some questions. So if we perk any questions in your mind, keep them in the back of your mind and we'll answer them if we can. So why? Why does the church require this of priests? So first of all, we have to say that, in fact, the church does not require celibacy always and everywhere, but only the Roman Catholic Church. See, we often forget that the Catholic Church is actually made up of like 24 different churches. And the Roman Church is, of course, the, the biggest one, uh, the most influential one, uh, but there are a whole bunch of Eastern churches, Eastern Catholic churches. Now, that's not to be confused with Eastern Orthodox churches, but that's a whole different history lesson. So, uh, but in the Eastern Catholic churches, there are, in fact, married priests. Uh, not all of them. They, they have celibate priests as well, and they only choose their bishops from among the celibate priests. But a lot like our Western-style uh, deacons, permanent deacons, uh, you can get married first in the Eastern Church and then later on become a priest. Also, there is, in, even in the Roman Church today, a, an exception for Protestant pastors who are married and then convert to Catholicism and want to become a priest. And so even though they're already married, they can become a Catholic priest. So that you can occasionally find that rare bird, a married Roman Catholic priest. So what we can take away from that is the fact that celibacy is a, not a doctrine of the church, an unchangeable teaching that it has to be that way, but it is rather a discipline of the church. In principle, the church could change it if she wanted to, but of course she's not going to. Why? Because she sees it as a very valuable thing. So we, can, we could trace all of this through history. We don't have time to go through the whole history. Suffice it to say that, you know, immediately after Jesus comes, there are people who are ready to commit themselves to celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. St. Paul is one of them, and he's very vocal about it. He, in fact, he recommends celibacy to everyone. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, as the history of the church goes on, priestly celibacy becomes more and more common until you get to uh, 1139, the Second Lateran Council. They finally decide that we're no longer going to allow married priests at all in the uh, Roman Catholic Church. So that's the history. But the, the real question is why? Why does the, the church see this as such a valuable discipline that she makes it mandatory um, so we can begin by saying there are, of course, a lot of simply practical reasons for it. A celibate priest has a lot more uh, ability to take his time and energy uh, and attention and give it to the people of God. You know, he's just more free to do that. He has more free time for prayer and for study and for administration of the parish. Then, of course, uh, you don't have to worry about the kind of potentially awkward situations where, like, your parish priest is civilly divorcing his wife. You know, that's not good. You know, what do you say about that? Or uh, one of your priest's kids goes off and uh, joins the Ku Klux Klan or something like that, you know, embarrasses the parish, right? So you just don't, don't have to deal with those kinds of things either. Then in a kind of a spiritual uh, side of things, 
celibacy is a way in which the, the priest gives his life completely to God. Now, of course, we're all supposed to do that. We're all supposed to give our lives completely to God. But since the, the priest is consecrated to God in a special way, celibacy, uh, the giving of his whole life and his, even his whole body just to God, makes that for him a very tangible, concrete way in which he can offer himself. Uh, so as, as Archbishop Fulton Sheen is well known for having said, the priest is not his own. Celibacy makes that very concrete. So all of those are different reasons that we could say uh, for why the church likes celibacy, but the real reason, what is the, the real reason, the main reason that the church has decided to require this of her priests? Quite simply because she wants them to live the imitation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was celibate. He never got married. And if, if the church says, if, you're, if we want our priests to be shepherds after the heart of the good shepherd, then we want them to be celibate. Jesus in St. Matthew's Gospel says this, Not all can accept this word, but only those to whom it is granted. Some are incapable of marriage because they were born so. Some because they were made so by others. Some because they have renounced marriage for the sake of of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever can accept this ought to accept it. So that's the real reason. The church says, you know, we want our priests to take this advice that they should accept this call of renouncing marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's the real basic reason why the church requires celibacy of her priests. So I've got like three uh, common objections uh, to celibacy that I wanted to go through if we have time. Uh, but first, I want to see any questions. And, you know, don't worry. You can't ask, like, a question that's too irreverent or something like that, you know. Uh, just, if you have any questions about celibacy, I'll be happy to try and answer them. This is like old hat for you all, huh? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Say it again. Well, I, well, yeah, right. So certainly uh, you can say uh, that there are times when I, as a celibate priest, look at married couples. And I, I like I miss that. Like, oh, I never had the opportunity to do that. But, you know, like I, I also look at people who like, I don't know, skydive. And I'm like, oh, I'll never have the opportunity to do that either. You know, like what a shame. But um, that's maybe not the best example. Yeah, I mean, so of course. Of course, there are, are times when celibacy is a cross and is a challenge, uh, but that's true of marriage, too. There are plenty of times when married people are like, man, I wish I was single again, you know? Uh, so, I, yes, that does happen, but, it is, but that doesn't... I, actually, that ties into one of our objections. So, um, anybody got a question before we move on to the objections here? Well, let me go through these quick, and I'll, I'll tie into what you were just saying there. One of the, one of the questions that, we, uh, that people will often say is, well, isn't celibacy unnatural, right? Doesn't it put uh, this, per this man in a position where he's uh, going to be emotionally and psychologically uh, damaged or weak by living in this kind of unnatural way? So our response to that should be, yes, celibacy is unnatural. It is, in fact, supernatural. Right? It is by living with the grace of God uh, that a person is able to do this. Now, first of all, there are tons of people besides celibate priests who live the single life. 
And they do have to deal with loneliness and looking at married couples and saying, man, sometimes I wish that could be part of my life. Uh, but there are, uh, there are plenty of people who are able to do that in a way which is psychologically healthy and emotionally fulfilling. So to suggest that because celibate priests uh, don't have married life, that therefore they're going to be like psychologically messed up, I think that ought to be offensive to all single people. Like That is a ridiculous attitude for our society to take. But we should keep in mind, too, that the celibate priest is not just living like the single life like any other single person, because it is a life that is supernatural. It is led with the grace of God. So the priest has this deep relationship with Jesus in prayer and the sacraments. He has his parish to support him. He has his brother priests. And of course, there are even structures that the church has in place for priests uh, that are, you know, going through hard times so that they can be supported and, uh, and built up. So, you know, uh, really, it is quite possible for a priest to live a celibate life by himself uh, without falling into sin or neuroses or, or I mean, he's going to struggle with loneliness because everybody does, but those can all be done healthily in a psychologically healthy way and emotionally fulfilling way. So celibacy is quite possible. It is not natural, but it is supernatural. Another common objection that we get is this isn't so much about celibacy itself, but it's the requirement of it is, well, if we had married priests, we'd have more priests and then we could fix the vocations crisis because we're in this vocations crisis right now. That's a reasonable uh, idea, but we have to we have to ask whether or not that's realistic. So, as I mentioned, in the Eastern Catholic Church, there are married priests. But it's not like they're booming as, you know, having tons and tons of vocations. They have the same vocations crisis that we have. And uh, if you look at Protestant churches, a lot of whom have not only married ministers, but even women ministers, they still are struggling, a lot of them, with this vocations crisis. They can't find uh, people to fill in their leadership. So just because we had married priests, that would not, uh, we have no real reason to think that that would in any way fix the vocations crisis. But, of course, let's, let's allow that if we had married priests, there would be more people who would become priests. Again, those, you have to weigh the disadvantages against the advantages. As, I, as we already kind of talked about, a married priest does not have nearly the amount of time that a celibate priest does. So for every celibate priest you were replacing with a married priest, you need like two of them or four of them or something like that, you know, in order to achieve the same level of pastoral care because they have to take care of their families and be good fathers uh, to their families as well. And then, of course, as I mentioned, you've got the, the fam- messy family th- dynamics that can arise and, and those kinds of things. But then you also have to think about things like well, where would they live? Because they couldn't necessarily live in the rectory. Uh, like if you had a rectory like ours where there's two priests, you couldn't have the married priest and his family in with the celibate priest. That would be really awkward, you know. Um, and, or sometimes the rectory would be too small. Which brings us to the point about money, right? Uh, how are you going to provide a salary for this married priest? Because in case you haven't noticed, we don't really pay priests enough for them to raise a family on, you know? So uh, if you wanted to have married priests, either that priest would have to be able to go out and get a job alongside of being a priest, which again, takes even more time away from the amount of time he has to dedicate to God's people, or we all have to put more money in the collection basket so that he can be paid, you know? And then you end up in weird situations like, 
Oh, I hope we don't get that priest with a lot of kids because then we have to pay a lot of money for his salary, you know, right? So you just, it's kind of awkward to be in those situations. The final objection uh, that I wanted to just cover quickly, because it's very prevalent in the situation that we're in right now with the sexual abuse crisis, is people will sometimes say, well, if we had married priests, wouldn't we have avoided a lot of these problems with uh, sexual abuse? And again, you understand why people say that. Uh, however, if we, if we actually look at the, the facts, uh, Father Jim and I have been reading out this book called um, Seven, Seven Big Myths about the Catholic Church by Christopher Kazor. So if you want to read some of these statistics for yourself, uh, you're welcome to, to look those up. But really, if you look uh, statistically across the population of uh, ministers, right, not just Catholic priests, but religious leaders in every denomination, the percentage of uh, priests who have abused people is the same as those other ministers. I'm not saying that makes it good, but it's, it's not any different. And in the population at large, of course, you're far less likely to be abused by a priest than you are by some other person. Uh, the, they point out that the statistics are far higher for people to be abused by, like, a live-in boyfriend or a step-parent than they are by a Catholic priest. So that's not to excuse the sick, evil things that were done by some of these Catholic priests, but the point is being married or being in a heterosexual relationship does not necessarily stop you from developing a predatory mindset. That is, those two things are not equated. So just because we had married priests, that would in no way fix the problem with the sexual abuse uh, scandals, sadly. So anyway, those are some common objections, and hopefully uh, this discussion of celibacy and those objections give you a better understanding, appreciation of why the church requires this of her priests, and also the tools, the tools to be able to explain it to your uh, other people you meet, your family, your neighbors, whoever, because that's really the goal of these catechetical homilies, to enrich your own knowledge of the church, but also to equip you to go out and defend the church's teachings and explain them to others. So hopefully it's accomplishing that. Immaculate Heart of Mary.